Welcome back to the Audio DT with Reb T, the Audio Devar Torah with Reb T. This year where we talk about the Parsha of the Week with some practical lessons to keep. We're here in Vayakal Pakudem. We're finishing off the Sefer before we go to the next Sefer. And we're looking at the end of Pakudem, where the Pasuk talks about how it says in the first month, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle, the Mishkan, was erected. Of course, the Mishkan being the manifestation of Hashem's presence on this world, on this earth, in the days when we were in the Midbar, the Mishkan being where we were placing all the different items, all the utensils, all the aspects that were in the Mishkan, everyone bringing the money, bringing their contributions. And the interesting is, the interesting thing to think about is how they would, everybody in from the Jewish people would donate a machatzitz hasheka, would donate an aspect to the to the temple, and they would each give the machatzitz hasheka. Why did everyone give a machatzitz hasheka? Why did everyone give the same amount? So the the common knowledge, the common idea is that everybody would give the same amount so that everybody was considered equal. Everybody was considered the same and everybody was considered on the same level, the same playing field and everybody was contributing similarly. Hashem wanted it to be that everyone is considered a functioning member. Everyone is considered a contributing member and everyone is someone that could contribute to the Jewish people, someone that could contribute to the world at large. It doesn't matter what someone's status is. It doesn't matter what someone's profession is. It doesn't matter if someone is a Kohen or a Yisrael or a Levi. Everybody gave the same amount. Everyone gave a Machatzitz HaShekel. Whether you were rich or whether you were poor, everyone had to sum up and get that Machatzitz HaShekel. Everyone had to contribute whatever they could. The interesting thing is, I believe the Vilna Gon points out, the Rabbi Rosner points out in his Sefer Shalom Rav, look at the word Machatzis. The word Machatzis itself is a very interesting word. Why? Because when you look at the word Machatzis, it itself had the 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 word of Machatzis teaches us something. But even before that, I want to point out a different word that uh, that Rabbi Rosner points out with the help of the Vilna Gon also. And also other commentary. What? Why is it that everybody would 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 give something? What is the word used in the last week's parsha? Also, it says vinasanu. Why the word vinasanu? Because that word teaches to us vinasanu that you have to give, and life is about giving. Life is about doing for others, giving to others, being there for others, and doing whatever you can to contribute your skills for others. But the word vinasanu is a palindrome. Whichever way you look at it, vinasanu forward, vinasanu backwards, it's always about giving. Because whether you go forwards or whether you go backwards, you always have to do what you can, even if it if it's hard for you, even if you have to break your back in some way, even if you have to break your middles, break your traits in some way, you have to do what you can to sort of bend over backwards for someone. Vanessa knew the wordage teaches us that you have to give this way and that way, forward and backwards. But also the word machatzis also teaches us something. What does the word machatzis teach us? So as Rabbi Razer points out, with the help of the commentaries, machatzis is very fascinating. Mem chet yud tough. What is the middle letter of the word machatzis? What is the middle of the word machatzis, right? So you look at the middle, the middle is the tzadi. What does the tzadi stand for? The tzadi stands for tzedakah. We know the Gemara teaches that tzedakah tatsum imavas. Rabbi Kiva talks about, a, there's a very famous story from the Gemara 
I believe either it's in Kasuvas or Shabbos where Rabbi Akiva is is talking to his daughter and the daughter talks about how she herself was saved from death. And how does how did it go about? How did it come about? The Chaldean astronomer said that she was gonna die in the day of her wedding. But it turned out that everybody was involved in the wedding for cities, everybody was involved in getting ready for the wedding, being involved in the wedding. But she herself saw that there was a poor man begging at the door. She gave up her own wedding portion for the poor man. And when it came time to, to get her hair ready or whatever, she took out the pin and she stuck it in the wall. The next day when she took the pin out, a snake came out of the wall with the pin. Obviously, things were built differently back then. Obviously, things were constructed differently back then. And Rabbi Kiva saw the story and heard the story and said, what merit did you have that you were saved from death? And the the daughter explained, this is what I did. I gave my portion to the poor man. I gave my food to the poor man. And Rabbi Kiva said, ah, you proved to the idea that tzedakah tatsum mimavit. Tzedakah saves from death. And it doesn't just save from weird death, it saves from death in general. And in general, when we give, giving is the is the way to to be saved from life. And we say, in the machzor, we say is the way to go, and that's the only place where you get test Hashem. We talked about this concept, this whole concept, a lot in the shir, the recent shir of the lecture series with Rabbi. It always bears repeating how important it is to give. How important it is to do tzedakah. How important it is to be a chesed-oriented person. When you give, it saves from death, and it's also the only area that you could test Hashem. And it says, The commentaries point out in the Gemara and elsewhere. And that's the idea here. Everybody was contributing to the Mishkan. Everyone gave to the Mishkan, but everybody gave that coin. Everybody gave that machasas shekel. To the to, to the to to the Mishkan, but also in general, when they were counted, everybody gave a shekel also, because everybody gave the same amount. Everybody had to give, and the, and there were all the the necessary elements needed to be given when they were taking donations, and then the same waited till the end to give. That wasn't a good thing, but everybody wanted to give something. We should always give. Maybe that's the idea of what should be re- represented in our own lives. A Mishkan could be. We should look at our house like a mishkan. We look, should look at our shul, our basement, like a mishkan. The mishkan was built with the donations of the people around it. The mishkan was built with tzedakah. The mishkan was built with giving. The mishkan was founded on giving. Our houses should be founded on giving. The root of the word ahava, the relationship of a husband and wife, relationship of, of parents to children, is based on giving, should be based on giving, as Rabbi Dessler explains. And commentators explain what is the root of a hava hav, to give. The basis of the home, the basis of the mishkan should be to give and is to give. The basis of the shul should be that we're giving people, we're giving in general, we're giving of our time, we're giving of our resources, we're giving of our money. What better way to build a shul than to build it on the shoulders of the members of the congregation, to build it on the shoulders of the members of the community. People need to give and that's how the mishkan was made through the donations of the people around it. People gave what they could, and that's what they did. That's the Mishkan. And we're going to talk about in a little bit the idea of how we could bring the Mishkan even more so to ourselves. But first, let's look at what Chabad points out in the in the sources from the Pesikta Rabbatai. On the 25th of Kislev, the work of the Mishkan was completed. Isn't that interesting? The 25th of Kislev, that obviously is the day 
very commonly known as the beginning of Hanukkah. Chanukah they rested on the 25th, they finished on the 25th, a remez to the Mishkan, a remez to the finishing of the Mishkan, also the rededication of the Beit HaMikdash. Not a coincidence that it happened on the 25th, 25th being key towards the Mishkan and towards the story of Hanukkah at the Beit HaMikdash with the Chashmanam taking over the Greeks and, and reinstituting many things, rededicating the temple and, and rehashing all those things that were trying to be taken away by the Greeks. So the 25th of Kislev, the work of the Mishkan was completed, and its component set folded up for three months until the first of Nisan. Why was that? Why did Hashem want that? Because Hashem wanted that the Mishkan should be erected in the month that Yitzchak was born. The month of Kislev was thus deprived, so Hashem said, I must compensate it. I must compensate it. So what did Hashem do? Obviously, Hashem made it that the dedication of the temple itself by the Hashemunim happened on Hanukkah. Hashem said, I must compensate it. I will dedicate the temple by the Hashemunim on Hanukkah. Every month we have in the Jewish year, we should have something that we dedicate to that month, that we should institute to that month, that we should do for that month. And every week, we should do something to look forward to dedicate our mitzvahs or Torah and our mindset towards Hashem and, and towards our lives. Obviously, the easiest thing would be to dedicate something towards Shabbos, to look towards Shabbos and to look towards what we could do. Every month when Rosh Chodesh comes around, do we do something? Do we celebrate that there's another month? Do we celebrate that there's the renewal of the Jewish people, which is the idea of the moon waxing and waning, just like the Jewish people throughout history might wax and wane, but it's always there? What can we do every month? Every month we look forward to something else. In Nisan, we look forward to Pesach. And in and, and different months, we look forward to different things. You know, in, in Tishrei, we we look forward... In Elul and Tishrei, we have Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and then we have Sukkot. And and in in Shavuos, when we come to the time of Shavuos, the month of Shavuos, I'm blanking right now on when Shavuos is, of course, but probably Sivan, actually, I think, when we have... You know, when we have a Shavuot, we look forward to that. Every month has something. It could be happy, it could be sad. We think about Shiva Sarbatamas, that's something to focus on, even though it's sad. And in in Tishabov, in Av, we think about Tishabov, we also think about Tuba Av, which was also a, a fascinating day. And we also have Tuba Shvat, where we think about all the fruits and the trees. And in Tuba Av, that was when the Jewish people, the, the maidens and the, and the men, they would find each other and there would be matches. Every month there's something we should look forward to. And in a month that doesn't have an actual holiday, like Cheshvan, we call it Mara Cheshvan, what should we do? How do we look about it? So we could institute for ourselves, what can we do in that month? What can we bring to that month? What can we do to, to liven up and spice up the month, especially related to mitzvahs and Torah, especially related to doing Torah learning or to doing chesed? And it could be revolved around Rosh Chodesh or it could be revolved around Shabbat. And I know growing up in, in my high school, every Rosh Chodesh, they would bring out a treat. They would bring out Snapple or they would bring out donuts and we would look forward to it. Why would they do that? Why would they bring out the food? Because when we think about Rosh Chodesh, it's sort of a holiday. You know, it really is a holiday. The, the Bezdin in the olden days would declare the new month based on the Eden that would come, and then they would light the fires on the on the hilltops, and everybody would see, and everybody would know that the new month was instituted. So we, we have food to reminisce and to think about how it's really a holiday, and Hashem gave us another month, and Hashem is always protecting us and bringing us back, forward and back, even though we are not 
fully owning the land like we should in it. We didn't bring the gul. We didn't have the gul brought to us by Hashem. And Mashiach didn't come yet, but every month we should look for it. And that's the idea here. And the Mishkan was set up, but it was waiting till Nisan. And the month was bereft. So Hashem said, I'll compensate. I'll bring Hanukkah. Of course, Kislev being the month of Hanukkah, that being my favorite Jewish holiday of the entire year. And of course, Adar has Purim. A lot of months have something, and some months don't, and we could figure out what to do every month, what to infuse every month with, infusing our lives, infusing our days, infusing our weeks with different things to look forward to, with the mitzvahs, with chesed, and different aspects to bring into our months, to bring into our lives. And that came from the Pesik to Rabbi, Rabbatai. Chabad.org points out from the Medrash Rabbah that when we look at the Parsha, when we think about the Parsha, we think about the Mishkan, we think about when did the consecration when did the consecration of the sanctuary begin? When did it start? It started the consecrating of it started on the twenty third of Adar. And on the first day of Nisan, the days of consecration were completed. So it started on the twenty third of Adar and it finished on the first day of Nisan. The days were completed during each of the seven days of consecration. Moshe set up the Mishkan, offered his sacrifices in it every morning, and then pulled it down. So Moshe did it for seven days straight. Seven being a very important figure in our lives in Judaism, of course, seven days of the week. But in, in general, Moshe put it up and then... He took it down, and seven also being nature, and Shmona being Lamal Minateva, sources explain. So on the eighth day, he put it up, but did not dismantle it again. What else is eight days? We think about the bris. It's eight days, because it's a day above the natural. Hashem wants us to make ourselves perfect, to go above nature, and to pull ourselves higher and higher doing mitzvah. So we wait for the eighth day of the boy, of the boy and we do the bris. What else is the eighth day? Hanukkah is eight days, not the eighth day, but it is eight days long to show that the menorah was also above nature. Hashem made a miracle that it wasn't natural that the oil lasted so long until we could get other oil. It wasn't natural that we defeated the Greeks and we were so few, Hashem and the company of men. But we have to go above nature. We have to do what we can to pull ourselves above nature, to go against our inborn traits or are not good traits, and to see what we could do to actually go up and accomplish great things in the world. We have to go above what our nature would be. We have to go above what our inclinations would be to do what we can to bring things into the world. We have to go up and above every day. And we have to make sure to implement what we can, utilizing our talents, utilizing our abilities, utilizing our capabilities to do what we can in this world to get things done, to get things accomplished. So we think about how Moshe put it up and took it down for a whole week. But after that week, when we went above that nature, went above the tendency of just the regular day of the week, that eighth day, it stood up and it stayed for good. When we challenge our nature, when we challenge our traits, when we challenge ourselves, and we go against our inborn traits, and we try to go above nature, above our nature, and to do what we can in our lives, that will stay. If we work on it and we keep going on it day after day for a week and then a month and then a year, whatever we do throughout our lives, that'll stay. If we work in our nature and we go above our nature, we do what we can to make it stay, then hopefully with our hard work, hopefully it'll stay as well. And that comes from Medrash Rabbah, from Chabad as well. Chabad points out 
from Rabbi Avraham Mordechai of Gore. Seven times Moshe erected the Mishkan, like we pointed out, and then dismantled it, presaging the seven sanctuaries that would serve the Jewish people. There was the Mishkan in the desert. There was though there was the Mishkan at Gilgal, at Shiloh, at Nov, and Givon, and the first and the second temples in Jerusalem. The seven times Moshe dismantled the tabernacle and then set it up again so that the future falls of these sanctuaries should not be permanent, but be followed by a rebuilding. Thus we are guaranteed that the destruction of the seventh sanctuary will be followed by the building of the third temple, which shall never be destroyed. Also, the tabernacle was itself never officially destroyed. I believe they say that the tabernacle either was buried or went missing. I think it was buried, maybe. But it was never officially destroyed, which is interesting. Why is that? The Mishkan was everlasting because the Mishkan was the manifestation, the first manifestation of Hashem's presence in a physical building after the giving of the Torah. And it might have been a rectification of the golden calf when the heir of Rav and other people challenged Hashem, challenged Moshe, set up the golden calf. And, in, and, ex, and instead, we set up this beautiful structure, this beautiful tabernacle as per God's commandments with the different instruments, the different utensils, the different items over there in order to offer sacrifices to Hashem, to offer presents and gifts to Hashem on a continual basis. So we hope that there will be the building of the third temple that will never be destroyed. But we should think about how throughout history, different aspects of of our existence has been challenged and destroyed and we had to get up and rebuild again. We had to get up and rebirth again. We have to get up and do what we can to to go up again, to go up again, and to go up again. You think about World War II and then the, the rebirth of the Jewish state. You think about in the olden days and how we had to move place to place and start anew in America or elsewhere. You think about after the Crusades and after the Inquisition, after all the terrible things that, that happened to the Jewish people throughout history and it was about rebirth. The Mishkan also was re, was dismantled and set up again dismantled and set up again so we also even though we might have been broken down we get up and we start again the famous pasuk comes david or shlomo malach says seven times the tzaddik will go down but he gets up again the greatness of the tzaddik is not that he doesn't fall the greatness of the tzaddik is that he falls but he gets back up again and again you're never going to keep him down he can be knocked down, but he's never going to stay down. You keep knocking at him, but he gets up again and again and again. Just as the Mishkan, seven times was dismantled, but brought again, and was wandered all over the place, all these different places. And then, basically, just was built and then destroyed, and built and then destroyed, and hopefully will be built and never be taken down. So too in our own lives, any time anything comes at us, and of course Hashem sends us what He sends us, for for our benefit, anything Hashem does, it's determined by Him besides for Yerushalayim, which is up to us, free will, but Hashem does only good things for us and sends things to us for our good and for our benefit. We should realize whatever He sends to us, we have to make ourselves go up and up and up again. Even if something can be really devastating, really 
terrible, really tragic, we could figure out how to move with it, how to go and get up again and again and again, whether it be anything that happens to you in your life, what can we do to get up and move? What can we get, what can we do to keep going forward, to keep moving forward? What can we do to make sure that we ourselves are moving? Just as the tabernacle was taken down and rebuilt many times, so too in our own lives we might be taken down, but we rebuild again. We go down and we rebuild again. You think about the example of the Kloisenberger Rabbi, a very good friend of my wife's grandfather and family, their family was, he lost a lot in World War II. We've talked about this on a different audio DT. And even though he could easily stay down after being knocked down, after losing so much and losing so many people, but he got up and he started again. Even though he lost a wife and children in the war, he married again and had more children. He started yeshiva and he started a hospital and he started all these amazing things. He got up again and again and again. So too in our own lives, whatever we can do to get up and move and go again and again and again as much as we can in all of our lives. And hopefully we won't be tested. Hopefully Hashem won't have to send us wake-up calls or whatnot. And hopefully we will not have to see destruction, but only everlasting building and good things. You can think about the text from a few parshas ago. In, in Shemos, the Pasik says, I don't remember exactly who it says, but it's very famous commentary, very famous commentators explain why the change in the verbiage, and we talked about this in a different audio DT, but it always bears repeating. Why the different verbiage? You'll make for me, you, will make for me a mikdash, and I will dwell amongst you. Plural. You go from the singular to the plural. Why? It's to teach us that the commentators explain, I forget who, but a very, very, very famous commentator that goes from the singular to the plural to teach us that we have to make a mishkan within ourselves. Each one of us, within our own souls, within our own lives, should be our own mikdash, should be our own mishkan. Not only in the house, in the shul, like we started off talking tonight in the audio D team, but in general, we should be our own mishkan. We should be our own mikdash, we ourselves in our lives, not just our physical homes and our physical shuls and our physical base medrashas and our physical schools. We ourselves within our own bodies, within our own neshamot, within our own souls, within our own lives, we need to be our own mishkans. And then Hashem can dwell within us. We make a spot, the Pasuk says, or the verse, or the, or the phraseology says, Open for me a little, little, little space the size of a needle and I will blow it open for you so much to come into your life, Hashem says to us. Just open a little bit. Open your heart a little bit. Let the flame of Torah touch you. Let the pintalayyid, the spark of the Jew be opened a little bit and then Hashem can blazing come in. Can come in blazing and can come in to help and to be involved in our life as much as possible. As we, as they make the Mishkan, as they make the Mikdash, and they implement all the different areas in Vayakabakuda, we think about the idea of how to make our own Mishkan in our own lives, our own Mishkan in our own hearts, our own Mishkan in our own Neshama. What can we do to let Hashem in? What can we do to bring Hashem in? into our actual houses and our actual schools, our actual schools, our actual batimadrashim, but into our actual being, into our actual heart, into our actual neshama itself. And that comes from the idea of the pasig v'asli mikdash v'shachanti v'sacham in shmot chafhe chet. But we can look at also what 
AreichemUSA.org points out, an organization dedicated to renewing authentic Jewish values. We know that the Mishkan serves as a model for the divine service of every individual Jew. Bringing Hashem in, making a sanctuary within ourselves and how we talk and how we speak, how we act and what we ingest and what we see, what we hear and how we interact and how we go about our days. We could be a divine vessel for Hashem if we sanctify everything in our lives as much as we can. Fighting the Yitzhahara, fighting bad traits or afflictions or addictions or habits or the like, letting Hashem in as much as possible we can be a model as our bodies we can know we can be a mishkan ourselves every one of us is entrusted with the obligation to build an internal mishkan within ourselves in order to make ourselves a living sanctuary for the divine presence our hearts are compared to the kodesh hakadashim the Holy of Holies, wherein were held the Luchos, the two tablets which Moshe had brought down from Har Sinai containing the Torah. Our hearts, hinted the Mishkan, must hold and cherish the Torah at their center as well. The menorah indicated the light of intelligence that must guide our decisions. The Ketoris, the incense, bespoke the pleasant atmosphere we may create around ourselves by virtue of our refined character. The Mishkan table depicted the requirement to ensure righteousness and purity in all our financial dealings. And the Kior, the basin with which the priests washed their bodies, hinted at, at our need to remain clean of the ugliness of evil. Every vessel symbolizes an aspect of our lives. We have to make sure and ensure every aspect of our lives are holy so that we could bring in the Mishkan, to allow the Mishkan to allow ourselves to be holy, not just the external aspects of the physical aspects of where we live and where we learn and where we teach and where we and where we talk, but within our own hearts, within our own bodies, within our own neshamas, within our own aspects of our own life. But just as the Mishkan, continues Arechem USA, but just as the Mishkan required construction, so do we. In constructing our internal Mishkan, we are apt to wonder whether we are capable of producing these exquisite, delicate, complex qualities within ourselves and our lives. Are we capable of achieving such great heights? Can we truly make ourselves into a fitting home for the presence of the Almighty itself, Himself? Comes Parshas Pekude right now when we're talking about the Mishkan. Parshas Pekude and Vayakal comes and reassures us. If you truly desire and make a firm decision to grow, your efforts will be blessed from on high. When we make the continual effort to come before our rabbis and our teachers in order to receive the Torah's guidance, we will not be left empty-handed. Our receptivity will be rewarded with guidance, with help, and internal strength. The knowledge, understanding, and wisdom we yearn for will be forthcoming. We will receive what we need to succeed at building our internal mishkan, glorious and beautiful, exquisite and sacred, the actualization of our truest self. What the Almighty Himself desires is our sincere commitment. All the rest is in His hands. We need to ensure 
our days are full of mitzvahs, are full of chesed, are full of Torah learning, in order to ensure that we can sanctify ourselves to become the Mishkan inside. We need to make sure to sanctify the months and to sanctify the aspects of our weeks that we're always revolving around thinking about special times every month can have a special time, whether it be Rosh Chodesh or with Shabbos or the actual holidays and special days that fall out throughout the year. We could think about how we ourselves can get up even after anything happens to us, just as the Mishkan was put up and put up and taken down and put up and, and moved around. And even after the Beit HaMikdash were put up and taken down, we ourselves, even if we fall, we ourselves also get up after we, we were down. We have to ensure how to sanctify ourselves, how to sanctify our lives to bring the internal Mishkan to light to bring the internal Mishkan to come around and to be a part of us. How to use our strength, how to use our abilities, how to use our capabilities to bring that Mikdash out, to make sure that all of our senses, all of our aspects of ourselves try to do good and see good and hear good and be involved with good and to do good actions. And we want to make sure that our lives are not bereft of any holiness. Just as Hashem had to compensate the month that He took the Mishkan away with the idea of Hanukkah, so to any aspect of our life it's lacking, let's try to infuse more mitzvahs into it. Let's try to infuse more chesed into it. Let's try to infuse more Torah learning into it. And I'm not saying you have to learn 20 hours a day, but what can we do to bring the Torah into our life? There are simple solutions I myself use, like the OU's Learning daily, learning emails, very simple. It takes a minute per email. There's a halacha one, a mitzvah one. There is a mishnah one. There's a tanach, there's a nach one. And there's a shtayimikron. All great things, easy way to infuse your days, to allow the mishkan to light within, to allow ourselves to, to, to have that sanctification within our days. Reading the daf, being involved in the daf, or reading about the parsha, different ways to be involved, different ways to learn, different ways to to allow these things to illuminate our lives, to be involved in our lives. All we have to do is figure out how to make ourselves holy, make every moment holy, make every week, every month holy. Just as Moshe took down and set up the Mishkan, so too in our own life we, we take down and we move around and around, making sure mitzvahs and chesed are involved. And just as the Mishkan was taken up and put down, so too without, within and around Jewish history, even though we were knocked down, we get up and we go and we do again and again. We think about how to make the Mishkan within ourselves. So we think about how to make our lives holy and make ourselves holy. We think about how we can bring the Mishkan from ourselves with our purity of heart, our purity of mind, and our purity of intelligence and decisions and the pleasant atmosphere around us and have a refined character and righteousness and purity in our dealings, especially financial, making sure that we rid ourselves of evil and rid ourselves of ugliness and we make sure that we work on constructing ourselves and make sure that we fine-tune our qualities, such as through using perkeavos to make morals and ethics a, a, a special part of our lives, like we do on the PIL, trying to learn a Mishnah per day. And we think about how we work ourselves, and we think about how we make firm decisions to grow, and we'll be blessed from Mannheim. We work and we learn, and we use the guidance of our rabbis, the guidance of our Torah, to have the internal strength and the guidance and help from Hashem and from His messengers, using the knowledge, the understanding, and the wisdom 
to build our internal Mishkan, to be glorious, to be beautiful, to be exquisite and be sacred, and to do what we can to use our commitment to go about, to try to make our lives as wonderful as possible. We learn about the Mishkan in these in these parshiyot, but we ourselves should have the Mishkan within ourselves. We learn about the Mishkan from the Torah, but we ourselves can build on that internal Mishkan to figure out how to externalize it from the internal. And hopefully in all of our days, our days could be more pure, more beautiful, more uplifting in every single one of our days. This has been the Audio DT with Reb T. And I'm your host, Reb T.